Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as the song says there, Lord, we want to go. We want to go. And Lord, we look forward to the day as followers of Christ. We look forward to the day that your kingdom comes and takes us home to glory. Father, today I know certainly there are those here, Lord, that don't know. Don't know where they're going to go when that day comes. Father, I pray that their eyes may be open today. And they may come to know you. And find peace with you. Oh Lord, today let, let your word ring in all of our ears. Let your spirit be upon us. So that we see your word, we hear your word. And Lord, give us a heart to obey your word. So that we may bring honor and glory to your name. In this lost and dying world. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Looking at verses 22 through 34 this morning. This is chapter 21, verses 22 through 34. We've been walking the journey of faith with Abraham now for several weeks. We're actually coming to a close. Uh, this week and next week is it for Abraham. Then we'll move on to uh, new things, different things. Uh, from there, we're actually going to Matthew chapter 13, looking at kingdom parables. So if you want to read ahead and, and uh, get prepared for that series. But today we're still journey, looking at the journey of faith, the journey of faith as we've been walking the road with Abraham and watching his journey of faith. God brought him out of a land of of pagans, uh, brought Abraham himself, who himself was a pagan, and brought him to full faith. And we've seen him grow in his faith, and now we see him in his old age, and as he has experienced God in his own life, he has grown much. That's the way faith is. The journey of faith that each and every one of us walks, it has a beginning, and there's a time of, of learning, a time of growth. We don't just become instantly, you know, the faithful. We don't instantly become the big saints that we might think of. But it takes time to weed out those fleshly desires and come to a full faith and a full relationship, a healthy faith in God. So if you found your places there, Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 34, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But 
As I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two, of the, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you, have, uh, you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the two, uh, therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Pekol, the commander of his armies, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a Tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the lands of the Philistines. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. In our journey of faith, it is very natural that people begin to take notice of us. Now, this is contrary to, to what many people believe in our day. Many people in our society, especially these days, uh, they grow more to, more to think that what it means to have uh, freedom of religion is that we can practice our faith at home and in private, but uh, you're not supposed to bring your faith out into the public square. You, when you're out and about in town and when you're out and about among the crowds, you're kind of supposed to, to stuff your faith over in some other little pocket and keep it separate from everything else. But we know that that's impossible, right? We can't just take our faith off and leave it at home. Uh, faith is, is something that we take with us. It's a part of us. It's what makes us who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, hopefully, as you walk and you live your life out in the world, people, they see your faith. If they don't see your faith, you need to ask yourself some questions, right? Because faith in Christ is all-consuming. It's a new way of living, and it comes out in our everyday life. So, so people, they observe us. They, they see our faith. They take note of our faith as we live in the world around us. Therefore, we should take that into consideration, and we should be living with a purpose in life. In everything that we do, it should, we should have a purpose, and, and our chief purpose in all that we do, 
Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything that we do is not for our glory. It's not to improve our situation. But everything that we do should be for the glory of God. Therefore, as we live in, in this life, as we deal with our friends and our neighbors and our family, then we should always strive to be peacekeepers. We should always strive to be peacekeepers. That's what we see in Abraham here today. As Abimelech comes to him and has these dealings with him, Abraham seeks to be a peacekeeper for the glory of God. Indeed, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are the peacekeepers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So today, as we look at this passage, the sermon in a sentence, if you will, is this. Seek peace with all, as God is the author of peace, and give him all the glory. Seek peace with all, as God, our Father, is the author of peace, and give him all the glory. So as we begin to, to look at this passage this morning, we see here three stages in this narrative, three, three different sections here, three steps in this narrative of Abraham and Abimelech. And in these three stages, we may extract three principles to live by, three principles of peacekeeping, if you will, to live by. First of all, in the first stage, we see Abimelech seeks a friend in Abraham. Abimelech seeks a friend in Abraham. That's in verses 22 through 24. Notice what it says there. At that time, Abimelech and Pekol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with my land, and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And so Abimelech, he, he, comes, to, he comes to Abraham, and he seeks a friendship in Abraham. He sees that there's something different about Abraham. As Abraham is sojourned there in the land, he has taken account to this stranger, this nomadic herder who has come to this land. He has lived out there in the land, and he has conquered kings. He has seen his wealth grow and grow and grow, and he can see God's blessings upon him. Dear friend, people notice God's blessings. People notice God's blessings. 
Well, the believer who is living their faith out in the world, people notice God's blessings in their life. Now, notice here, I'm not just talking about monetary blessings. Certainly, Abraham had monetary blessings. His, his herds had just exploded. And remember, back when we first started this, we saw that uh, because of God's blessings uh, on Abraham, that Abraham and Lot had to split up because they had so much. But we're not just talking about monetary blessings. Yes, God blessed Abraham greatly with those monetary possessions, but that's not always the case. Not God doesn't make all believers rich and wealthy, as the health and wealth folks out there would have you believe, right? No. In fact, Jesus was not a wealthy man. Jesus himself, the very Son of God, didn't own much of anything. Most of everything that he had was given to him by someone else. He lived off of other people's kindness and, and grace. And so it's not just monetary, but, but when you look at someone who, is, who has a relationship with God, a deep relationship with God, you begin to notice blessings in their life. You begin to notice a, a, a glow about them. God begins to grow them in godliness, right? Their, their attitudes change. Their, their, the light about them changes. There's something different about them. Have you ever had someone come up and say, I don't know what it is, but I, there's just something different about you. You're not like everyone else around here. Have you ever had that? As a Christian, you can kind of put a point on that. That's God's work in your life. That's, those are his blessings being poured out on your life, making you more like Jesus. And people will notice that. They'll take note of that. Not only that, but when people do notice God's blessings in your life, people are then attracted to godliness. People are attracted to godliness. They're attracted to that. Now, we need to clarify, not all people, right? Some people out there really hate godliness. They hate those who are, are Christians and, and, and display Christian morality. We know that. But you know what I found? More often than not, people are really attracted to godliness in people's lives as, as, as people begin to live out their faith and show godly morality. They deal honestly with people. People are attracted to that. They're drawn to that. And when hard times come upon those people who are around you watching your life, guess who they're going to come to? Guess who they're going to come to for advice? Guess who they're going to come to for prayer and guidance? Yes. People are attracted to godliness. Abimelech is attracted to Abraham. He's not like all the other kings in the land. But he sees God's blessings upon his life. He sees the godliness of his character. Yes, he's had dealings with Abraham where Abraham wasn't so honest. We looked at that last week, didn't we? But even in that, he sees God's blessings upon him. And dear friend, we need to note that. Just like Abraham, we all have our mess-ups. But people understand that. And we can say, you know, I'm sorry, I did, I messed up, I'm sorry. 
but then the rest of our life is filled with godliness. When we live out our faith among our peers, people recognize that and they're drawn to that. I tell you, now you're going to get to meet Dr. Ross here in a few months. In October, he's going to, Dr. Ross is going to be here to uh, lead our Rooted Family Conference this year. And so he's going to be here that Sunday morning to, to preach. And uh, you're going to get the, the privilege and the pleasure of, of meeting him. But when Meredith and I were living in Fort Worth, we, of course, were members at Wedgwood Baptist Church there in Fort Worth. And Richard and his wife, Luana, were members there at, at Wedgwood. And often in, on Sunday night and our Sunday night services, those were kind of our, our prayer nights. And so before we kind of got into the preaching, the, we would kind of split up into prayer groups and, and just pray for one another, pray for other things going on. Mary Beth and I, we would often try to sit close to Dr. and Mrs. Ross. We wanted to, to be close to them. We, we wanted to, to get to know them. We wanted to, to pray with them because there was something different about them. I mean, you, you just saw godliness just ooze out of them. Uh, they just had a, a walk with the Lord like no one else, and, and we wanted a piece of that. We were drawn to that. You see? We saw that in their lives, and we were drawn to it, and we wanted to, to get a piece of what they had. People around you, when you live out your faith, they are drawn to that. They want a, a little piece of what you've got. So here's the principle that we learn Here's what we need to do with this as we see this in Abraham's life. Cultivate godliness in your life. Christian, cultivate godliness in your life. You see, it's a growth process. It's like a garden. You've got to go out there and you, you don't just plant a garden and let it go and, and hope everything turns out right, do you? No, you've got to go out there and you've you got to... Hoe out the weeds and, and all of that good stuff. You've got to fertilize. You've got to water. You've got to cultivate the ground so that your plants, your vegetables will grow strong. Well, that's the way life with faith is. You've got to cultivate a life of godliness. You've got to work at it. Abraham didn't just come up when God came to him in Ur and he was instantly the saint that he became, right? He, he had to grow in his faith. That faith was cultivated. We see that in his life. Abraham, first of all, he sought God regularly. I would assume he sought God daily. He sought God daily. He, he looked, he went out looking for God, seeking him. Dear friend, we need to seek God on a daily basis. We need to strive to, to, to look for God in every situation, every circumstance. Draw close to God constantly, day in and day out. If you want to cultivate your faith, you have to seek God daily. How do you do that? Well, like Abraham, you have to listen to God regularly as well. You have to listen to God. Abraham had a practice of listening to God. Now, Abraham, he, he had God who came and spoke to him in dreams and, and visions and, 
Even a few times face to face, he got to walk with God and talk with God. We don't have that. We don't experience God in that way, but we have something even better, don't we? We have something even better. We have God's Word written for us right here. We can, we can hold it in our hands. We can pick it up, and we can read God's Word day in and day out. Abraham didn't have God's written Word. He only got to listen to God's Word when God came to him in a vision. But we got God's Word right here. Oh, what a blessing we have. Dear friend, you need to listen to God regularly. Abraham also prayed to God, didn't he? He sought God in prayer. We want to cultivate godliness in our own lives, and we've got to seek God in his word and in prayer. Seek God day in and day out. Also, seek those people in your life who you see the evidence of their faith. You see godliness in them. Seek those people. Like Mary Beth and I, we sought the Rosses so we could glean just a little bit off of them for that little season of a time. Seek those people around you that you can see the godliness in their lives. Learn from them what you can. Seek them. Cultivate godliness in your life. So Abimelech, he seeks a friend in Abraham, but then Abraham, he follows that up, doesn't he? Abraham seeks peace then with Abimelech. Abraham seeks peace. He seeks to keep the peace. He says, I swear, I will do this. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He begins to work this out actively in the moment, in the situation. The first thing that he does, and, and we see here in his life, we see three steps to peace that Abraham displays for us. Now, this is what we see in this text. We could probably pull out some other from other texts, but we're just going to focus on this text today. We see three steps to peace that Abraham displays for us. First of all, honestly air grievances. How do you seek peace with someone? Honestly, air grievances. Abraham there in verse 25, it says, When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Now, what had happened? Abraham, he was a herder. He didn't have any land. He was just a nomadic herder living in the, that land. And there wasn't always water flowing through. There was a, a hilly region, and so water was down in the valley, but he was up in the hills. And so how do you get water up in the hills? You dig a well. And so Abraham had found a nice place, and he had dug a well there. Well, then Abimelech's servants come along with Abimelech's herds. They see this nice well dug. Hey, it's in the land of Abimelech. So it's got to be Abimelech's well. And so they take it from Abraham. They say, oh, no, this is not your well. We don't care that you say you've dug it, but this is Abimelech's well. And they take it from him. And that offended Abraham, of course. And so he airs his grievance with Abimelech. He's just honestly airing his grievance. He has this problem. 
He's not going to just leave it out there and kind of, oh well. But he's honestly airing it. He's honestly addressing the situation. And you see, we've got to be able to do that. You see, he could have just kind of left it alone. And not really known if it was Abimelech or if Abimelech hadn't known anything about it or whatever. Now, when Abraham addresses Abimelech about it, what happens? Abimelech says, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. I got thousands of servants who serve me, and I can't keep up with every little action that they do. And I didn't know that this happened. You didn't come to me and tell me about this. He had no clue, right? And that's the problem with just kind of leaving things out there without addressing them, without bringing them up. It, it can cause more problems than it should sometimes. Well, we've got to be able to honestly air our grievances when someone offends us. Jesus tells us, if your brother has aught with you, you've offended your brother, go to your brother and work it out. Before you go to, to the assembly and worship, you go work it out with your brother. And certainly the same goes if someone has offended us, we ought to go work it out. Now this doesn't mean that we air all of our little, you know, preferences, right? It doesn't mean that every little thing that somebody does, we go, hey, well, you kind of offended me on that one. Well, I don't really like the music that you listen to, so uh, that just offends me, and you need to change that. No, that's not what we're talking about at all. Right? We need to kind of leave our own preferences over to the side. But I'm talking about real grievances. Someone has offended you. They've hurt your feelings somehow or the other. A lot of times we kind of just kind of, we let it brew inside. We hold it against somebody. Oh, we kind of show them favor to their face, but then we just kind of, you know, we go tell other people, you know what that, you know what he did to me? No. Go work it out. Go air the grievance. Go, go talk it out with them. We got to be able to be honest with one another and open who knows, it may be something uh, that they didn't even realize they did. Have you ever had someone say, man, you snubbed me the other day. When? Where? <laughs> you know, we kind of get locked in our, our train of thought. We get locked in on something, and, and we don't always notice those people around us. And I, I know I, I'm really good at that. You could be standing right here to the side and I'm locked in on a mission and I'm going and I don't speak. Hey, don't take it personal. Come, tell me about it. I'll apologize and we'll go on. But we've got to be able to honestly air our grievances. Second step here towards making peace is then make generous restitution. Make generous restitution. Notice what Abraham does after Abimelech tells him, hey, I didn't know about this. What does Abraham do? Well, Abraham says, so Abraham, verse 27, so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. 
Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? Abraham said to him, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Now Abraham had dug the well. They had established that. Technically, it was his well. He dug it. It was his. It was, it should have been, uh, he should have been able to use it. But you know what Abraham does? He's the one. He's the one that comes, and then he's the one who makes generous restitution. Abimelech, I mean, in our thinking, Abimelech should have been the one making restitution. His, his servants are the one who stole it back from Abraham. But Abraham turns around and he says, you know what? I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to make the restitution here. I'm going to pay you. I dug it, now I'm going to pay you for it, Abimelech. It's in your land. I'm going to pay you for it. Even though technically he's, he shouldn't have had to do that, Abraham did that because Abraham wanted to keep peace with Abimelech. Isn't this the same example that we have and God. Isn't this exactly what we read earlier back there in Romans? Romans chapter 5, looking down there at verses 6 through 8, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels against him, Christ died for us. You see, God is, Abraham is exemplifying God here. That's what God does for us. We should be paying God back for our dis disbelief, for our rebellion against him. Yet God is the one who comes, and he's the one who graciously makes generous restitution for us. He restores us, reconciles us to him by giving his own son. Oh, what a price he paid. He gave his own son to restore us to him, to make peace with us. Oh, how much more we ought to be willing to give of ourselves so that we might make peace with others, to keep peace, to build relationships, to build friendships. for the cause of God's kingdom. Honestly, air grievances. Make generous restitution. And third, devote to fidelity. You want to keep peace, you have to devote yourself to fidelity. Look there in verse 32. So... They made a covenant 
at Beersheba. They made a covenant at Beersheba. They made a covenant. Now, we've been talking a lot about covenants when, when we, as we've been working through the life of Abraham. God came and made a covenant with Abraham, didn't he? That was what we called a Susarian vassal treaty or a Susarian vassal covenant where you had a, a superior, the Susarian, the superior, the supreme king who came to a vassal, a weaker, lesser king, and he made a covenant. And that was a, a, a covenant of grace. But here's a, a slightly different covenant. This is what's called a, a bilateral covenant. This is a covenant between two equals. Abimelech and Abraham are seen as two equals who are coming together and they're covenanting together to be at peace with one another. They're covenanting together to, to devote themselves to fidelity with one another. It's kind of the same thing, let us be torn asunder if, if we break the covenant, but there's, there's this bilateral covenant, this bilateral agreement that we are going to be faithful to one another. And you see, that's what we have to do. We have to make the decision, yes, even in church, a church filled with sinners, we're not all saints yet. We're saints in Christ, but we're not all saints yet, right? We haven't been glorified. We still sin. We still mess things up. I still offend people. I still sin against people. I mess up. But you see, here's the thing. Just like in a marriage relationship, just the same as it is in church, we have to come to that point of devoting ourselves to peace, devoting ourselves to be faithful to the church covenant that we come under. We devote ourselves to work it out. We devote ourselves to do whatever it takes to, to keep the peace with one another. When we have disagreements, so be it. We'll have disagreements. That's the way things go. But we devote ourselves to come together, work it out, and live in peace with one another. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have that same kind of devotion to work it out with our friends and our neighbors who live around us. You've got a neighbor who lets his dog come mess in your yard, you, you need to work it out. Right? You don't need to hold that against them so that that becomes a, 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 some kind of tension between the two of you. Whatever it may be, you need to work it out. You need to devote yourself to, to being able to work it out, to, to be at peace because there's greater things at stake here than your yard or your bushes or whatever. You need to devote yourself to being a peacekeeper. To building relationships with others for kingdom advantage. Which is what we're going to get to in here in just a moment. So, three stages to keeping peace that we see in our text this morning. Honest, honestly air grievances. Second, make generous restitution. Third, devote to fidelity. And here's the principle, the key principle that we see in this section. Strive to be a peacekeeper. Strive to be a peacekeeper, dear friend. As God is the chief peacekeeper who gave his son Christ on the cross 
so that you might be brought to peace with him, you be a peacekeeper. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brothers, Paul says, Rejoice, aim for rest- restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So we see Abimelech seeks a friend with Abraham. Abraham seeks to be a peacekeeper. He seeks peace with Abimelech. And in the third section, in the final little section here, the conclusion of this part of the narrative, Abraham gives glory to God. Abraham gives glory to God. Look there at verses 33 and 34. Abraham planted a Tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord of Yahweh, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Notice what Abraham does as he comes to make peace with Abimelech. He glorifies God. He gives all the glory to God, glorifying God, first of all, publicly. Glorifying God publicly. He plants a Tamarisk tree. Now, a Tamarisk tree, we don't have many of those around here, I don't think. But a Tamaris tree is a very hardy evergreen tree that grows in that region of the world. And so Abraham, he plants this Tamaris tree, a tree that will take root, a tree that will grow and grow and grow, and that tree will be a testimony to God's favor, to God's glory. I think it's significant that he plants an evergreen, one that never loses its leaves, but is always in full green foliage to represent God and his glory and bringing peace between Abraham and Abimelech. He gives God the glory publicly. This is a public announcement, a public proclamation to all of those who come by, they know that's Abraham's tree. That's Abraham's well. That's where God blessed Abraham. And Abraham glorified God by glorifying God specifically. By glorifying God specifically. He gives praise. He calls there on the name of the Lord Yahweh, right? All caps, Lord in all caps is the proper name of the Lord. He called on the Lord, Yahweh, the everlasting God. You know, the text here is really pointing that out. He's not giving glory to the God of the Philistines. He's not giving glory to any of the other gods of the land, the sun gods from which he used to worship. He's giving God glory to no other God but the everlasting God, the great I am, who was, who is, and who will always be. There is no other. Abraham is giving glory to a specific God, and we need to notice that. We need to recognize that in our world of plurality, where all things go to the same place, right? 
That's what our world says. All paths lead to the same destination. No, no, no. As Christians, we cannot declare that. As Christians, we cannot proclaim that. We can't just proclaim some, some faceless God. We pray to Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. Through him we have salvation, not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through any other God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the everlasting God, who has always been God, always will be God. As we proclaim the glory of the Lord, we proclaim his glory publicly. We don't hide our faith back at home. We don't just confine it to the church building. We proclaim God publicly, out in the public square. We worship God. We worship Jesus Christ. There is no other name by which you can be saved. You see, that's the purpose of it all. You don't keep peace with your neighbor just so you can get something from your neighbor. You don't keep peace with that, the person down at Walmart who's being ugly to you because you want something out of that person. You keep peace to bring glory to the God of peace so that when people say, look at you and, and see that you're different, you're not one who, who just wants to cause trouble. Who wants to brew up trouble, but you're, they see you a person of peace. They say, what is different? What is different? I want what you have. I have Jesus. I have Jesus. I am who I am because Christ died for me. And Christ lives in me. We give glory to God for all that we do. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God Almighty. Dear friend, today maybe you don't have that peace because you don't know the peace of God. But let me tell you, God, He came. He came, and he, addressed, he, he will address your sin. He confronts your sin. You have offended him greatly through your sin and your rebellion against his sovereign rule. And he has given generous restitution because of your sin by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, bearing the penalty for your sin. And he will devote himself to changing your life, making you new in Christ, if you'll only trust him, give your life over to him. You want to know the God of peace? He's offering you peace today. You'll only turn and seek him. Seek peace, dear friend, for the glory of our God in heaven. Seek peace with all 
as God, our Father, is the author of peace and give praise always to his great name. O Heavenly Father, O Lord, we recognize today that if it were not for you, if you, Lord God, were not a God of peace, we would have no peace. Not with you and not with our our brother and our sister next to us. Because, Lord, we, we are a people of war. A people of rebellion. But, Lord, it's you who are the peacemaker. And you can bring peace to us. You give us peace, and you give us the ability to make peace. Oh, Lord, let us trust in that. May we surrender ourselves to your guidance, your leadership in our lives, that we might become a people of peace, so that we might draw people to see you and come to you. Oh, Lord, if there's those today Who are not at peace with you. They are on the road to hell. Living in rebellion against you. Oh Lord, let today be the day that they make peace. A trusting in you. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.